This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 17 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life. Exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com. And Kentucky Performance Products. They can be found online at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Esbjerg, Denmark, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi, Heather. Welcome back, stranger. Thanks, Chris. It's, uh, it's nice to be, I don't want to say home, but back, I guess. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, it's nice to be back with uh, friends and family and definitely with my horses. I missed them a lot when I was gone, but had a great tour in the States. Yes, how did it go? You were going covered many states, didn't you? You had a quite a quite a trip this time. Did it all go well? It, it it went really well, and I mean, luckily, I also brought a little bit cooler weather with me. Seems like at every one of the places, which was um, a concern of mine, it was uh, pretty hot before I got there. But um, the, the clinic, the clinics went well. Lessons were super, and um, just really get a lot of energy back from uh, helping folks out. And um, I think they were all pretty happy. So. Um, can't wait for next time. Well, terrific. And, uh, well, I know how popular they are, and you did quite a bit of uh, tweeting and, and, and Facebooking, and uh, so people knew where to find you. Did you get many auditors as well as your uh, students there, Heather? We did, yeah. We got quite a few at each place, and I think the auditors go away with a good bit too, and um, they are normally, at least some of them, want to ride the next time I come around. So, um I'm, I'm happy to, you know, questions from the auditors. That's always a nice, uh, a nice thing during lunch breaks, and um, so we did. And there were quite a few people there. Terrific. Well, any any comments about the dressage? Was anyone listening to the dressage radio show out there? Yeah, I got some feedback. A lot of great feedback that um, um, people are definitely listening and that they're enjoying a lot of the, especially the training tips. Um, I was just still encouraging that uh, if I get the feedback there when I see them in person, that they could also do it online and you know again sort of direct me into what I can help the most with. But um, some good feedback for the show, so I was happy to know that people are out there enjoying it. Great. Well, I hope they enjoy today's show, Heather, because we have Courtney King Dye as our guest this week. Courtney, as you know, uh, made the team. Couple, she she made her debut at World Cup a couple of years ago, uh, and and uh, really really launched herself onto the international scene. So we're going to be talking to Courtney a little bit later on in the in the program. But before we get to that, uh, we have some news this week, and and you will know in Europe about the judging trials, Heather, that uh, took place just last week, the 7th and 9th to the 9th of September in Aachen, Germany. It's something that the FEI Dressage Task Force implemented. They took place in Aachen, as I mentioned. And, uh, these t- these uh, judging trials are meant to review the judging system in dressage, and uh, I think it was quite a, an interesting session there. We won't quite know the outcome of, of those trials uh, for a little while, um, but I think something that needs to be done probably, Heather, every, every so often. Well, it sure seems like a great idea. I can't wait to see what they, um, what the results are. Is it two weeks, I think, afterwards that we're supposed to know 
how it went and what they do about it, right? Right. The actual testing of the different systems happened um, over, over the first two days of the three-day trials and was separated into five different trials. And the entire trials were then later discussed by all the judges and task force members. And the results um, were then sent to Switzerland, where David Stickland, who's apparently a maths wizard, will calculate the results of each of those trials and estimate the level of improvement of each system in comparison to the old format. Uh, so I think that would be interesting. You know, something such as dressage, it's rather like skating. We often compare it to skating, don't we? And uh, the uh, the objectivity uh, uh, versus subjectivity of uh, dressage judging. Well, it is a pretty good comparison, I think. And, you know, it, 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 I think it could be a little tough to, you know, stay completely objective when you do start to know um, certain things about certain horses and riders. And, you know, for the judges to have a sort of a new system, maybe they're just as grateful for some new ideas as anybody. And I, I can't wait to see what uh, comes out of it. It's just it is going to be really interesting. Something, um, you know, either way, it's going to be um, just a... Really interesting to report on, you know, what we find out. Absolutely. Well, um, then another major piece of, of news out of Europe uh, comes from the FEI's uh, Stevens Commission that they set up. It's named after Lord Stevens, who's chief of Britain's Metropolitan Police, was looking into the whole issue of, uh, uh, you know, clean sport. And uh, that I think that was quite a major undertaking that uh, came about. Heather, have you been reading about that? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't read up on that, Chris. So um, I can't add much to it. But um, I'd like to know more about it. Well, they've added. Uh, they've announced recommendations to combat doping within the sport. Um, of course, it's something that's of major concern to us. So it's quite a, quite an extensive um, investigation, and they they support and supplement the work of the Lundqvist Support for Clean Sport Commission for Clean Sport. So it follows on from that, and uh, their recommendations. Um, just briefly, uh, to include an integrity unit and the setting up of an independent integrity unit to maintain the status of a a corruption-free environment in the FEI and its sports. The second point was the professionalism of the sport. A greater number of roles should be professionalized by having paid professionals. That's another recommendation. And thirdly, the protocols. There's an urgent review of protocols being recommended for all anti-doping tests, including an assessment of conflicts of interest. And the last thing is the stable security at competition venues. They are recommending a more sophisticated and effective stable security system at FEI championships and CSIOs. Uh, really, really important aspects there of, 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 of you know, to, to control the doping and to, to make sure that we implement a clean sport, Heather. Um, all of those things would obviously be very good to have in place. Um, and interestingly, the recommendations were implored, applauded by Courtney King Dye, who, who's our guest to, to on the show today. She was disqualified from the Olympics last year after Methilius tested positive for the drug Felbinac, an anti-inflammatory drug. And, Doug, and uh, King Dye was suspended from competition for one month, even though a tribunal found that she and the veterinarian did not knowingly administer the drug. And uh, I think that's something that uh, was welcomed by by Courtney and uh, the ethics panel has recommended that a clearer line be drawn between trace amounts of banned substance as in King, King Dye's case and levels that would affect performance and uh, she said that the, I'm, I'm sure countless other cases in the past year and a half are not cases of people trying to cheat or trying to use performance enhancing drugs 
Um, and I think that's that's something that uh, I think there's a clear definition between those that are deliberately trying to cheat the system and those that are entirely innocent and not having any malintent at all. So interesting uh, items of news there, Heather, and uh, the things that we will follow, obviously, not least of all the results of the judging trials and, and what comes out of that, what recommendations are made um, as we move forward uh, into our World Equestrian Games year in just a few, just a few months away. Um, well, thanks for all that news, Chris, and you gave me some things that I'm going to go look up now and into more about those subjects and um, um, see more about what's going on there. So, um, but don't go away because uh, we're going to hear the interview from uh, Courtney next. Uh, but first, we're going to go and hear from our um, sponsor. It is fantastic to have our friends at Equestrian Life as the title sponsors for the Dressage Radio Show. If you have not been to Equestrian Life yet, you need to go. In addition to being the official social community for the Horse Radio Network, it is one of the fastest-growing horse communities on the Internet. It is truly the Facebook for horse people. The goal of EquestrianLife.com is to bring equestrians together and to provide them with the breadth and depth of information and tools they need to learn and connect with other horse lovers who share the same passion. EquestrianLife.com is a fun, inviting website that strives to provide its members with a world-class experience that fosters the expression of all the ways people enjoy their horses and the people who are part of the horse world. EquestrianLife.com's social media platform provides users with cutting-edge applications and tools, such as people in horse profiles, social Q&A, status updates, messaging, photo uploading, groups, comments, blogs, expert high-definition videos, directories, birthday reminders, alerts, messaging, and on and on and on, in addition to their partnership with the Horse Radio Network. This community is designed by horse people for horse people and is filled with educational and entertaining video and audio all about our horses. Right on over to Equestrian Life today. Sign up for free and tell all of your friends. If you love horses, equestrianlife.com is the place to be. Well, thanks again to our sponsors, Equestrian Life, and uh, uh, we always appreciate their their support. Um, we we, we uh, obviously we wouldn't be here without the support of our sponsors. So don't forget to check out that online community, which is the official online community of Horse Radio Network at equestrianlife.com. Well, we're going to get to our guest uh, on the show this week, and that's going to be Courtney King Die. Courtney King made her name on the on the international scene. Really, she started off in uh, through the Young Rider rankings. She uh, competed in in the uh, North America Junior Young Rider Championship some years ago. She's based in New York, in Melbourne, New York, and uh, she has two wonderful horses that she uh, launched onto the international scene, Idicus and Methilius, and she made it to the World Cup finals a couple of years ago. And also last year, and uh, at the end of that year, of course, she represented the U.S. at the Hong Kong Olympics. So let's hear from Courtney. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining us on the Dressage Radio. So your your first uh, visit with us, and we really appreciate you spending the time. I know how busy you are. Uh, my pleasure. Well, we want to really spend a little while, uh, Courtney, just introducing you to our audience, uh, which is, as you know, a fairly new audience, and 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 really get it, let them get to know Courtney King Die and uh, how you got started in the sport. Um, give us a little sense of where you know where you are now, where you're based, and what your operation looks like now. 
Uh, I just moved to a new farm this summer. I had been for a long time based out of London Gray's Farm in Bedford, New York. Um, my new farm is in Millbrook, New York, which is just about an hour north of London's. Um, and it's just perfect for me. It's very um, quiet there. It's just the owner and myself, very low-key atmosphere. Um, you know, it's a great farm with great footing and all of those things, but just in general, really quiet and uh, and nice for the horses and beautiful. And we have, um, I have 14 horses right now in training, and normally my day is to ride um, my main horses, ride eight or ten horses in the morning and then teach um, three, four, or five lessons in the afternoon. And... Um, and uh, I'm just really enjoying it. It's a, it's a perfect setup for me. And so how did you get started in the sport? Did you grow up around ponies and in the pony club or anything like that? How did you get going in, in your early days, Courtney? Um, you know, I was just basically a typical little girl who was in love with horses. And my both of my parents actually rode when they were young, um, but they were divorced when I was four. And... Uh, moved away from the farm so I really had no horses in my life um until finally I, I always was obsessed with them but um never had an opportunity to be around them until I was nine and we moved to a little tiny town in Harbor Springs um called Harbor Springs Michigan and there was a stable in walking distance that I could go and walk and muck out stalls in the morning before school and then the school bus would pick me up and then the school bus would drop me off after school and I'd uh, get to take a lesson or just help out if there was nothing to ride. And so that definitely became my second home. And I was lucky to have uh, exposure to a trainer who was very interested in dressage. Uh, he came when I was 11, and his name is Lou Denizard, and he's still a very good friend and very active in the dressage community. So I really wanted to be an event rider at that point, um, but he he introduced me to... Uh, to classical dressage, and um, you know, I just kept kept going after. My parents were not very um, supportive. My mom loved that I rode, but didn't have the money to support it in any way. And my father was a little bit worried that um, with how obsessed I was with horses, that it was just not a a good path for me to go down because it's. As everybody knows, it's hard to make a living. It's very few people who get to recognize their dreams, and it's a lot of work with no security. Um, so he had my best interests in mind, but it was um, definitely not going to stop me. So I um, took every opportunity I could get. I um, moved away from home when I was 13 to follow my um, dreams and got uh, uh just had several different moves, and finally when I was 16, I went to be a working student for London Gray, and um, that pretty much has been the rest of my life. It was as soon as I walked in the door, I knew it's what I wanted to do. Um, so that's really how I got my start and, uh, and has never, never swayed. So you were born and grew up in Michigan? Yep, I was born in Saginaw and um, spent most of my childhood there. We did move um quite a bit around but that's definitely where my home base would be so any siblings who had an interest in in horses as well or are you the only child uh, uh, well i have uh, two brothers and a sister and um none of them have any interest in horses uh but we're we're very very close and they've always been 
they didn't understand what I was doing, but they were really supportive of me. <laughs> they didn't didn't quite get the obsession part, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> so what do you think were your earliest influences there? Because you said you left home at 13, which is a really young age to, to you know, make your own way in the world. What what do you think were the very early influences that, that gave you this bug and this obsession, Courtney? I, I don't know. It's I guess some people just have a drive, and as soon as they see tennis, they want to play tennis, and they get obsessed with that game. Um, and something in me, I mean, for certain, it didn't start out, with um, dressage or even sport. It started out with just loving horses. Um, but I, I really don't know. I can't say that I had any real exposure to it um, when I was younger. So I don't know. Some some people just have something in their blood and can't get away from it. So. Just, yeah, just made your way down that path. And, uh, and you mentioned that you had an interest in eventing before you changed course. Uh, did you actually participate in, in eventing or any other sport before you concentrated on dressage? I did. I mean, only at a very low level, of course, not having my own horse. I just, I, whoever would let me ride the horses and the, the horses that I worked off riding at the stable, um, whatever those horses could do, whatever the horses owners would let me do, I would. So I, I did, um, some hunters, I did some jumpers, I did, um, uh, a substantial amount of eventing, but only to a very low level. I I competed a lot through training level, and I did one prelim, and that was um, that was all that I was able to do, um, which I'm really <laughs> thankful for now. I still love the, those lower levels, and if I had the time and the opportunity, I would still do those lower levels. But I I can't say that I have the courage to. Um, do what the top level eventers do. So I'm glad I got waylaid in dressage when I did. So you still jump when you can, do you? Just enjoy it for for fun? I haven't in years. I, I do enjoy it, and I always want to do that dressage jumping uh, event that they have in Florida. But when I have a horse who, when I have a young horse that I want to jump, which I do like my young horses to jump a little bit, I always get a professional jumper because my eye and my timing, of course, are so rusty. And uh, I want the horses to have the best experience possible. And I don't have any experienced jumpers, so uh, I, I don't jump anymore. But, again, if I got the opportunity to do something fun like that, then I absolutely would. And so you went to school. You got a, a bachelor's in, in literature. Um, what were you thinking at that point in your life of, as to how, how your career would take shape, Courtney? Well, even from my earliest days, I always wanted, college was important to me, and I always wanted to um, get my education. I did one school at University of Michigan um, after my first year at London's, and my father's um, deal with me was he would pay for school as long as I didn't ride. And I thought I could do it, and I did it for one year at University of Michigan, but I just um, I, I just couldn't handle that for four years. So um, I decided to not do that, and I moved back to London's, and London was really supportive. I had a job um, at night at a bar and worked off as much as I could for my classes, and actually London and one of my other clients helped me to um, pay for classes when I couldn't make ends meet. Um, at just a local community college. So I was pretty much always plugging away through school, um, through correspondence courses and local universities. Um, but especially when riding started to get more time demanding, that was hard to do. Um, and, and just the, the lower standard of academics 
was not, it, it, it made it hard for me to do. I wasn't interested enough or stimulated enough to really tackle the schoolwork. So um, what happened was when I was uh, 20 and I went to um, kind of Schumacher's in Germany for my first real training and showing stunt over there, um, I had Eidekes, who we had started Grand Prix in the summer, and I had another really nice small tour horse, Jester, and um, two three-year-old stallions. And um, when Eidekes got moved to a different rider after our first show, and my other, the small tour horse went lame. And, um, you know, I'd just been working nonstop at, between the bar and trying to go to school and being at London's for so long. When that happened, it really gave me a wake-up call um, that I had invested every ounce of my energy and life to riding, and I discovered that it's it, 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 you, you just don't have enough control over it to depend on it to make you happy. And at that point, I said, I really want to be a happy person, and I realized that I needed some balance in my life. And so um, when I came back, I, that's when I applied to Columbia and uh, got accepted there, and my um, father agreed to help with some of school. And um, honestly, at that point, I think I probably would have kept kept going to school and not riding, um, except for that, of course, I needed to pay for school, and riding was the best way that I had to make money. Um, so slowly over the course of the next kind of year, year and a half, um, I started to really enjoy riding again just for the sake of riding and not competing and uh by the time i was looking at graduating from school i already had you know 12 horses in training and gun and a, and a full-time business um for riding so it, it i'm always thankful for that experience because um it became really clear to me that um, to be the best rider and trainer I can be, I needed balance and I needed to be a happy person. And although I'm very, very thankful that um, I did invest so much of my life to riding when I was young because that gave me the start that I needed and, and earned me some opportunities that people like to give to young people, not to older people. Um, I'm really thankful for, uh, for that wake-up call. And, uh, and since then, I've always stayed very committed to, to keeping some balance and other things in my life um, so that all of my happiness doesn't fall on riding, uh, which is not a responsibility the horses, the horses need put on them. So. Well, we've had a few guests on the show who talked about the Young Rider competition, the championships, uh, which have often shaped their, their careers. And you, too, were a graduate of that. You, you came through Young Riders in, in 98, uh, Courtney. I did. How did yeah. that influence you at, at a young age? Well, I kind of snuck in there at the very, it was the last year that I could do it, and um, I wasn't really ready for it. I didn't know what I was in for, and my horse was very green. So um, it was an incredible, I couldn't believe that I was getting the opportunity to do something like that. And it, I mean, the Yamada program is amazing because it, it very much gives the feeling of a big international competition and that feeling of team spirit um, that we don't often get uh, in, in horse sports. Um, so it was amazing in that sense. And it was also for me, um, you know, I think I, I came, I just barely scraped into the individual round and came dead last. So it was, um, you know, 
really good for me to be put in that position that I was at the, I was definitely uh, not uh, up high in the competition and, um, and to be supported and to support other people. And um, so it, it was really, really fun and, uh, and a good education in many ways for me. Well, you mentioned, you know, your influence uh, of, of Lendon Gray and Conrad Schumacher, and you also um, spent some time with, you know, some other very top trainers and riders. How, how did that unfold in your career as you, as you got the opportunity to, to learn from them and, and you were getting good horses yourself, uh, Courtney? How, how did it unfold? How did they ride with different people help? Yes, yes. How is that came, you know, those opportunities came along in, in, at different times in your in your career and got you to where you've gone now. Obviously, you learned from different things from different people. Um, so th- that must have been an, a, a wonderful influence and, and, and f- really shaped your career. It did shape my career. And I feel really fortunate that my um, that my trainer, London, uh, she was always so incredibly supportive of riding with as many people as you could. I didn't get that opportunity early in in my time with her, but as I was with her longer and longer, and she, um, I think she recognized how serious I was about it. She always encouraged, and she encourages all of her students to ride with um, all different people, which I think is very important because it allows you to find your own become your own rider you know you can't mimic somebody else's program um exactly you have to find your own way and um getting the opportunities on great horses that's again a a directly london related um uh occurrence because since i came to her when she was kind of getting ready to not ride so much and she was in quite a bit of pain from um different um injuries and uh so the horses that had been brought there for her to ride, as I got more experience and um, more skillful, she encouraged the owners to let me do most of the riding, even when she was showing them, and then eventually that I could show them. Uh, so um, all of that part, which is definitely has shaped who I am as a trainer and also um, the success that I've been able to accomplish is directly directly thankful to to London's um, encouragement and support in both of those departments. Well, of course, you're known for your wonderful partnerships with um, Harmonius Smith-Elias and uh, and Idicus. Were they the two that really would say that gay that really kickstarted you it, uh, towards the to a team place? Um, of course, you represented the Olympics, and I think you made your team debut a couple of years ago, didn't you? With the with yeah, with, with I guess with the World Cup um, was my first time representing the um, representing the U.S. and um, yeah, I mean Idikis 100% was the horse who gave me the opportunity to make an appearance on the international stage. Um, we were together. Lennon showed him through small tour. I had been riding him since he was six, and that was when Lennon decided to not ride so much. And actually, Idikis and I got to make our Grand Prix debut together, and that already doing the national championships and getting long listed um, all the way back then um, was setting me up for success. And then, you know, I lost him and kind of didn't didn't have a horse to to do the big stuff with for a while until really Idikis returned to me, um, and 
he 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 was the one horse who I had who had I mean he was just such an incredibly talented horse and had such appeal um to the crowds that he he gained a lot of notice and uh and brought me into being able to compete for a spot on the team and you know getting to represent the U.S. two times in a World Cup competition set me up for being ready to go for the Olympics so um yeah without him and without myth it, it would have been it would have been a while before I was able to accomplish those goals. And tell us about that. You know, getting the call for an Olympic ticket is the dream of every dressage rider is listening to this show, I'm sure. It, you know, that that must have been a magical moment. Do you remember where you were when you got the call? And, and uh, it, do you remember those moments, uh, Courtney? Well, it's not done through a phone call. You know immediately after the competition the way that our teams are selected are um, based on we have a final selection trial, so we all had to go head-to-head. So we know ahead of time that the top three um, horses with the, the top percentages over the course of two weekends of competition are the three going. So um, it happened a little bit slowly, of course, going into the um, Olympic selection trials. Um, my horses were, um, Idicus was ranked third, and Midwest was ranked sixth. Um, so it you know, I, I had a, an idea that I had a chance for the team, but had no idea um, really how it would turn out until everybody is together under the same judges, under the same weekends. Um, and, uh, but by the end of the second round of competition, Myth was looking in a pretty good position. And uh, so going into the final day of competition, um, we pretty much already knew who, who the team would be. Um, but until you get in the ring and go around and can be consistent, um, it's not secure. So although it was a little bit slow brewing, um, it wasn't like a phone call that, you know, you, you all of a sudden get this news. It was uh, a slow building thing. And I think also takes the, the, um, the pinnacle off the excitement because you're just working so hard. It's in those moments trying to put in the best test you can, all of the months of preparation leading to those six minutes in the ring. Um, take, you know, you can't, you can't focus on anything else other than riding the horse to, to the best of your ability. Um, but for certain that night with um, Stefan and Debbie, and I had a substantial amount of family and friends around, uh, that, that, that evening was when it kind of settled in and, and we did some good celebrating. I'm sure you did. And, when you're preparing for a competition, everybody deals with their nerves in a different way. Do you get nervous? How do, how do you handle and compose yourself to be able to ride to the best of your ability at the top competition, uh, Courtney? I've been extremely lucky. I'm. I don't. Um, I don't really have nerves. I don't get nervous before competitions. Um, which is really fortunate because I know that when people do it, it's, it's a severe, um, impediment and, and performing at their top ability. But, um, and I know that because one time that my first world cup competition, it was a couple of days before, um, the competition started, but I was for the first time in the schooling arena with Kira Kirkland and Isabel there and, um, uh, you know, just a ton of people who I'd respected and admired for years and years. And I got so worried that I was going to be, you know, cutting in front of people and 
you know, I just <laughs> was very worried, nervous, and that lasted the full, about half an hour of that ride, and I got off and I thought, well, that was pretty useless. Um, so I was happy that I got that out of the way before I actually had to go in onto center line, but in terms of actually going into the competition ring, um, I, I don't suffer from nerves at all. I, I have a very good focus on the horses, and pretty much for me it's the same 20 by 60 arena if I'm there in front of thousands of people at Aachen or if I'm schooling in my, in my own stable. Well, that's a wonderful advantage and, you know, it helps, helps not only you but the rideability of the horse, I'm sure, that's conveyed to them. So that, that's a terrific advantage to have. And you also mentioned that you have family and, and friends supporting you and, and, of course, you're married. Uh, tell, tell us about your situation now. Does your husband come along to all your competitions and, and support you? Is he the, your cheer, chief, chief cheerleader? He sure is. He is amazing. He never had anything to do with horses. He didn't have anything to do with animals. He didn't even know how to pet my dogs. Um, and now he is hes 100% into it. He loves the sport. He handles and helps with the horses. He comes to every competition unless there's some reason that, that he um, can't, like that pesky little thing called a job that he has. Um, and... Uh, and he's also, it's not just about my riding and my, you know, going to the shows. He's the one who tells me what's going on at the European Championships and what's going on with, you know, Isabel's uh, drugging case and all of the things that go on in the world. He really um, has embraced it as a sport and, uh, and, and follows it and is completely invested, even separate from what I'm doing. So... I don't know how I lucked out so much in that department because he <laughs> great balance with having nothing to do with horses but is also the best support that I could imagine. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. And, and hopefully his enthusiasm will spread to the Dressage Radio Show. Maybe we can get him uh, to listen to uh, your po- podcast and not just when you're on the show, but <laughs> get, get him to spread the word about the Dressage Radio Show. Yeah, <laughs> and now, now of course we're looking at the World Equestrian Games here just next year, uh, Courtney. A lot of uh, competition here to to get a place on the team on 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 home soil. Tell us about uh, what your plans are now with the horses that you have. Well, you know, it's as always with horses. It's one it's one day at a time, and of course the the wags are. Um, are looming and it's a great um, goal to set and I think we have a lot of people who have not made appearances yet in the ring who um, who are going to be somewhat aiming towards that goal um, me included um, to a certain extent you know I don't have any expectations myth is um, coming back and um, I'm riding him and he's feeling good right now but um, there's no guarantee that he's going to be um, fit enough to be able to sustain international competition. Um, so that's a waiting game. And uh, I have another 10-year-old stallion who I've just been riding for um, a little less than two months now. And um, uh, we have some getting to know each other and getting through some basics and things to, to, to work with. Um, and he would be very green to go for such a goal, but it's certainly something, you know, I'm, I, I plan my schedule according to doing the qualifiers, and if it works, it's great, and if it doesn't, um, it's certainly no disappointment. Uh, Mitt has done what he needs to do, and, and uh, the new horse down Principe is, is um, young, and we're in no, no rush with him. So 
uh, and I have a, a, a really nice um, horse that I've been showing in a small tour, um, Grandioso, a, a PRE stallion, and um, he's working toward the Grand Prix, and I think he'll be a, a strong Grand Prix horse. Um, it'll take some time. He certainly won't be ready to um, be showing Grand Prix for the next probably six months or Ten months, you never know how it's going to go, but um, it's some some really fun things to work with, and I have a couple of babies who I think are um, are going to be something fun to to see for the future. But it's horses, and it's one day at a time. Absolutely, one day at a time. But nice that you have such wonderful prospects coming along, Courtney. Yeah, I'm I, I'm feeling really lucky, and you know that's that's the the thing about getting being at the top of the sport and staying there is. You know, you you just can't count on on one horse, and it takes a it takes a barn full often. And uh, I'm really lucky to have a, a good group of horses, and um, you know, always keeping my eye out for for opportunities with with new ones along the way. Well, that's terrific. Well, we we certainly will look forward to watching those young horses come along and get and seeing you back on the team here, Courtney. And uh, no, we know you have a website. We'll put a link to your website on our website so people can follow you and, and uh, the res- your results. And, and you also do some teaching too. So I guess your business uh, as usual and always, always available for new business. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, hopefully coming on the show will help that. And uh, we really appreciate you spending the time with us here today, Courtney. It's been a lot of fun. And we certainly look forward to you getting back on the scene and uh, watching you with your uh, beautiful choice of horses here. You're really, uh, you're very in a wonderful position. Thank you, Chris. Well, it was good to hear from Courtney on the show. That was her first time on the Dressage Radio Show, Heather. And uh, um, we'll be following her. And, of course, uh, the competition heats up here for a place on the World Equestrian Games team in our home nation next year. So uh, uh, we'll be watching all of these riders with interest as they prepare and it's going to be very exciting Heather isn't it as we do prepare our home team given what's happening in Europe with these wonderful performances from Parseval and Totilus it's going to be very competitive isn't it Oh, I would say so. I mean, I wish I could be there. And then again, I'm kind of glad I won't. <laughs> no, I would, would love to be there. I would love to be there to watch. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's um, possible. I hope so. And um, it's going to be a fantastic competition, no doubt. Right. Well, we'll see if we can't get you uh, to record some in, uh, sh- uh, shows from the Dressage Radio Show, some episodes. We'll be obviously covering the World Equestrian Games quite extensively, so um, I think you'll be playing a part in the games one way or the other, Heather. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a short break now to, for our sponsors, KPP, um, and when we come back, we'll be hearing from Heather on her training tip of the week. Thank you, Chris, and welcome back, Heather. You know, one of the things that has been commonpla- become commonplace with our show horses and backyard horses is the need for supplements. And, you know, selecting the right supplement for your dressage horse can be a science. Kentucky Performance Products will help simplify your search. You can trust Kentucky Performance Products to give you the most value for your money. They offer supplements designed to target specific problems and are made with high-quality ingredients included at effective levels at a price you can afford. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about one of their great products, and that's Endure Extra. 
Endor Extra is a high-fat, low-carb energy source recommended by veterinarians and leading horsemen. It maintains optimal energy levels in your hard-working dressage horses and increases weight gain in your poor doers. More than just a fat supplement, Endor Extra also provides other benefits such as much-needed natural vitamin E and gut conditioners. You know, best of all, you can feed Endure Extra as little as 8 ounces per day, so it is a good value as well. You know, Kentucky Performance Products has a bunch of different products that will help your horse. Take a look at all of them at kppusa.com. You can see about Endure Extra and all the products at kppusa.com. Well, Heather, I'm sure you've got lots of training tips in your in your head after your clinic. Um, all sorts of things come to mind. Are they when you know? And I probably new ideas. Some old, some new. Have you got anything uh, different for us this week? Well, you're exactly right, Chris. You read my mind. I have a lot of things that I've been thinking about. Um, what I would want to. Um, say and talk about today and I ended up deciding on one that did come up quite often um, in a number of the lessons and um, it's the first time I've sort of talked about it the way I did um, the way that the uh, the what we're going for with the horses the frame and the shape and the connection and the way they're supposed to appear sort of at the end of the story um, that it needs to be thought of as um, not being man-made, um, but instead, if you think about it, as being equine-made. So um, those words kind of came out and started kind of striking people in a pretty useful way. And I see fairly often that, you know, a rider might think, okay, first you get your horse on the bit, and then you can make transitions or movements or work within um, the exercises that you want to work in, and I think that's I think that's wrong um, to put it in that order. That you know, having the horse quote on the bit, which is a phrase that okay, it can be defined by many different people in many different ways. But um, if we talk about the phrase on the bit, you know, that should sort of be at, at the end of the story and not the beginning of the story. And if I think if riders think first you get your horse on the bit and then you ride is where they can sort of try to get the horse there in man-made ways, you know, ways that the hand might cause um, the shape of the neck or affect um, the horse's nose or the front of the horse to be in a shape that is um, a little premature or before the horse is has learned to be in the right balance and is responsive to light aids and things that should bring the horse more naturally or in an equine-made way, um, quote, onto the bit, and, um, you know, first the rider has to learn how to be on the horse, on the horse's back in a way that is basically out of his way, uh, and then teach the horse to be really promptly responsive um, to really simple aids. And if a horse can respond, you know, in really, really prompt, you know, no delay kind of ways to the rider asking for simple transitions and, you know, just go and stop and, you know, when they have to turn left or right and the rider can stay out of the way, then I think the horse is in the right kind of balance in that in that moment that um, if then the, the horse accepts the contact, that it can be very equine made that the horse is looking sort of at the end of the story. The horse is on the bit and looking like we want them to look for the level where they're performing. So those words just kind of um, stuck with me throughout that tour. And I think it helped quite a lot of riders um, in the lessons anyway. And hopefully it does for, for some of the listeners out there listening to this. 
And um, Chris, like, what do you think of when you hear those words? Does that make sense to you? It, you know, it totally does. And 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 what I what I see with with horses and, and and riders now, and often with the riders, especially the adult amateurs or the people that have of you know coming from different walks of life when they get on a horse so they maybe have gone to a competition they've watched trainers and they think that's what their horse should look like and they put mm-hmm. it into this false frame that you can call it on the bit you can put it in a framework or a shape and they think yes. that's that's visually what they're aiming for before they ride the horse yeah, that's another great way to put it. It's exactly uh, what this what this training tip was about. And if if it's a, if it's just sort of a, a poised frame, it is sort of man made, and it has nothing to do with it. The horse is there because of the athletic position that they're in, because they can perform really prompt transitions and such. So, um, yeah. So I'm glad that uh, it, it makes sense to you too. It totally sort of, makes sense, and, yeah. and and what I what disappoints me is, it, and, and some may say I'm being a bit of a purist here, Heather, but when I see people strap their horses down with drawing reins, with long, you know, with running reins, and they pull them into this overbent shape um, because they're not riding them through from behind, they're not riding the back of the horse at all, they're just putting them into this shape. Before they and then they take the running reins, the draw reins off, and then they'll jump a couple of fences and go in the ring. This happens a lot, I think, in the jumper world, and mm-hmm. and and I find that disappointing because it's just riding the front of the horse. It's not riding the back end. It's making the horse do something that you know is not being ridden naturally to create that shape. He's being forced into that shape. Well, right, and I think you know when it comes to having to force them into the shape, the, the whole the whole chapter of keeping the horse in balance has really been missed. And um, then, you know, the, the symptoms of the horse not being in balance can often be that the head and neck is not the right shape or that the horse is too heavy in the front and there's resistance in the front. And so then the draw reins come on in many cases and they try to just sort of deal with the symptoms rather than the cause. And um, and I think that's where it goes wrong. And, you know, not to say that drawing reins are every single time used in the wrong way, but I think most of the time they sort of are on to be um, dealing more with symptoms rather than causes too. Yes, yes, and it and it and it, it's a shame because then you use lose the the horse's natural way of going. That you 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 just you you fast track that you just if if you will bypass it because the horse doesn't That's get right. a, doesn't horse doesn't get a, a chance to create you know to to develop his natural way of going and and be ridden through that lovely natural way of going. He's put into an artificial shape. Um, That's right. And you wonder how many people are doing this because they think they should, because that's what the trainers recommend or that's what they see, Um, or it's because they've never learnt how to do it properly and, uh, you know, or they are um, amateurs and they don't have the time to put in the groundwork and the legwork to strengthen their seat and ride the horse naturally from behind. Well, I would say D, all of the above. <laughs> that all of all of those reasons, and then another one is also that you know, even if a trainer says uh, something really, really well, it it can also uh, be different how it, how it's perceived by the listener, and maybe they just misunderstood, you know, through you know a certain set of words that were used, and and it goes into the rider's ear in a certain way that. 
isn't always right. So that's another thing that can go wrong, too. Even if they're told the right thing, they may not have sort of understood it right. And, and I think also if they're listening too much to what they think they should be listening to, that they forget what they're feeling. Or don't that get can be a tune. challenge, yeah. Don't yeah. get so in tune with what they're actually feeling and just stay with what they're feeling. But they may, may not know how to interpret what they're feeling too. So I think it's, it all belongs in that, in that part, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Well, interesting. Well, thank you for that, Heather. Some thought-provoking um, ideas there, and uh, hopefully we'll get some responses from our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, and uh, certainly if you have any ideas or questions, please let us know. And, um, uh, we appreciate your tips, Heather, as always. And, and I know you've been a, parted from Paragon for a few weeks on tour, but now you're back in the saddle. How does he feel? He feels fantastic. My um, very good friend here in Denmark, Mia Hermansen, um, was able to keep him and care for him for me while I was gone, and she did a fantastic job with him. So she just gave him a, a great life for two weeks of fun stuff and, ha you know, hacking out, and she had him massaged a couple of times. She worked him a little bit for me. She just treated him like a superstar, and um, he came back to me just completely fresh and ready to work and so happy about that. So it really helps to have someone like that behind, behind the scenes when it, uh, you know, when I have to be away. Um, hated being away from him. Every day I don't get to ride him. I feel sort of cheated. But <laughs> then again, it's probably a nice break for him, too. So um, he was great. And he's just right on track now. He's really, really super. Today, um, especially, I had just um, um, really exciting stuff happening with him today. Good. Well, it's all about that feeling, that feeling that you only you have with your with your horse. And uh, so, I th I think the message from from this tip and from what you're feeling, Heather, to everybody is, you know, just to stay in tune with your horse in what you're feeling, because that's the most important thing. And uh, intuition's a great thing too. Follow yes, it is, and I intuition helps a ton. And um, you know, just being able to to really read not only feel what's happening in his body, but, you know, to start to get the skill to read what's in his mind, and especially with a paragon, that is so important with him because he's not a, a physically very reactive horse, but mentally I can really get to him. So the more that I can be right there mentally with him and I know what he's thinking, then I, I know what the appropriate uh, communication can be with him and what he needs and what he's thinking, and that, that's huge with him. Well, very exciting. Well, we'll look forward to, to hearing Paragon's Diary again next week, Heather. Thank you for that. And reminding everybody here now that you can follow Heather on uh, Twitter and at, on her website. Her uh, Twitter address is uh, Heather Blitz, and uh, her website is heatherblitz.info. You can catch up with everything that's ha happening with Heather there. You can follow us and our show notes at dressageradio.com. And don't forget to send us your feedback. Leave a voicemail at 270-803-0025. Or you can email Heather at heather at horseradionetwork.com. And my address is chris at horseradionetwork.com. And don't forget to uh, get onto Facebook. If you're a Facebook follower, you can catch us there. We have a fan page, and there's a link there to uh, that fan page on our website at dressageradio.com. Again, we would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life, our presenting sponsors. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. So, Heather, until we meet again next week. 
Thanks for listening and mind your writing.